0: This is day 86 of our daily Bible reading. We'll be completing Nehemiah chapter 13, and then we'll begin the book of Esther, chapters 1 through 4. Lord Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for the multitude of blessings that you've given us. Lord, we remember that you don't give us the bare minimum. You give us mercy and compassion fresh every day. Your grace is abounding in us. Or that we don't even recognize half the stuff you do for us. and Lord, that we can be appreciative of you today. That we can just keep you in our mind and just adore you for who you are and give you proper worship as you desire. Lord, as we go into your word today, please humble our spirits that we can receive your word with gladness. In Jesus' name, amen. On that day they read aloud from the book of Moses in the hearing of the people. And there was found written in it that no Ammonite or Moabite should ever enter the assembly of God, because they did not meet the sons of Israel with bread and water, but hired Balaam against them to curse them. However, our God turned the curse into a blessing. So when they heard the law, they excluded all foreigners from Israel. Now, prior to this, Eliashib, the priest, who was appointed over the chambers of the house of our God, being related to Tobiah, had prepared a large room for him, where formerly they put the grain offerings, the frankincense, the utensils, and the tithes of grain, wine, and oil prescribed for the Levites, the singers, and the gatekeepers, and the contribution for the priests. But during all this time I was not in Jerusalem, for in the thirty-second year of Artaxerxes, king of Babylon, I had gone to the king. After some time, however, I asked leave from the king, and I came to Jerusalem and learned about the evil that Eliashib had done for Tobiah by preparing a room for him in the courts of the house of God. It was very displeasing to me, So I threw all of Tobiah's household goods out of the room. Then I gave an order and they cleansed the rooms, and I returned there the utensils of the house of God with the grain offerings and the frankincense. I also discovered that the portions of the Levites had not been given them, so that the Levites and the singers who performed the service had gone away, each to his own field. So I reprimanded the officials and said, Why is the house of God forsaken? Then I gathered them together and restored them to their posts. All Judah then brought the tithe of the grain, wine, and oil into the storehouses. In charge of the storehouses, I appointed Shelemiah the priest, Zadok the scribe, and pediah of the Levites, and in addition to them was Hanan, the son of Zakur, the son of Mataniah, for they were considered reliable, and it was their task to distribute to their kinsmen. Remember me for this, O my God, and do not blot out my loyal deeds, which I have performed for the house of my God and its services. In those days I saw in Judah some who were treading wine presses on the Sabbath, and bringing in sacks of grain, and loading them on donkeys, as well as wine, grapes, figs, and all kinds of loads. And they brought them into Jerusalem on the Sabbath day. So I admonished them on the day they sold food. Also men of Tyre were living there who imported fish and all kinds of merchandise, and sold them to the sons of Judah on the Sabbath, even in Jerusalem. Then I reprimanded the nobles of Judah, and said to them, What is this evil thing you are doing by profaning the Sabbath day? Did not your fathers do the same, so that our God brought on us and on this city all this trouble? Yet you are adding to the wrath on Israel by profaning the Sabbath. It came about that just as it grew dark at the gates of Jerusalem before the Sabbath, I commanded that the doors should be shut, and that they should not open them until after the Sabbath. Then I stationed some of my servants at the gates, so that no load would enter on the Sabbath day. Once or twice the traders and merchants of every kind of merchandise spent the night outside Jerusalem. Then I warned them, and I said to them, Why do you spend the night in front of the wall? If you do so again, I will use force on you. From that time on, they did not come on the Sabbath. And I commanded the Levites that they should purify themselves and come as gatekeepers to sanctify the Sabbath day. For this also remember me, O my God and have compassion on me, according to the greatness of your lovingkindness. In those days I also saw that the Jews had married women from Ashdod, Ammon, and Moab. As for their children, half spoke in the language of Ashdod, and none of them was able to speak the language of Judah, but the language of his own people. So I contended with them and cursed them and struck some of them, and pulled out their hair, and made them swear by God, You shall not give your daughters to their sons, nor take of their daughters for your sons or for yourselves. Did not Solomon king of Israel sin regarding these things? Yet among the many nations there was no king like him, and he was loved by his God, and God made him king over all Israel. Nevertheless, the foreign women caused even him to sin. Do we then hear about you, that you have committed all this great evil by acting unfaithfully against our God, by marrying foreign women? Even one of the sons of Joiada, the son of Eliashib, the high priest, was a son-in-law of Sanballat the Horonite. So I drove him away from me. Remember them, O my God, because they have defiled the priesthood and the covenant of the priesthood and the Levites. Thus I purified them for everything foreign, and appointed duties for the priests and the Levites, each in his task, and I arranged for the supply of wood at appointed times and for the first fruits. Remember me, O my God, for good. Now it took place in the days of Ahasuerus, the Ahasuerus who reigned from India to Ethiopia over one hundred and twenty provinces. In those days, as King Ahasuerus sat on his royal throne, which is at the citadel in Susa, in the third year of his reign, he gave a banquet for all his princes and attendants, the army of officers of Persia and Media, the nobles and the princes of his provinces being in his presence, and he displayed the riches of his royal glory and the splendor of his great majesty for many days, one hundred and eighty days. When these days were completed, the king gave a banquet lasting seven days for all the people who were present at the citadel in Susa, from the greatest to the least, in the court of the garden of the king's palace. There were hangings of fine white and violet linen held by cords of fine purple linen on silver strings and marble columns, and couches of gold and silver on a mosaic pavement of porphyry, marble, mother-of-pearl, and precious stones. Drinks were served in golden vessels of various kinds, and the royal wine was plentiful according to the king's bounty. The drinking was done according to the law. There was no compulsion. For so the king had given orders to each official of his household that he should do according to the desires of each person. Queen Vashti also gave a banquet for the women in the palace, which belonged to King Ahasuerus. On the seventh day, when the heart of the king was merry with wine, he commanded Mehuman, Biztha, Arbona, Bigtha, Abagtha, Zathar, and Carcas, the seven eunuchs who served in the presence of King Ahasuerus, to bring Queen Vashti before the king with her royal crown in order to display her beauty to the people and the princes, for she was beautiful. But Queen Vashti refused to come at the king's command, delivered by the eunuchs. Then the king became very angry, and his wrath burned within him. Then the king said to the wise men who understood the times, for it was the custom of the king so to speak before all who knew law and justice and were close to him, Karshena, Shathar, Admatha, Tarshish, Meris, Marcena, and Memukan, the seven princes of Persia and Media, who had access to the king's presence, and sat in the first place in the kingdom. According to law, what is to be done with Queen Vashti, because she did not obey the command of King Ahasuerus delivered by the eunuchs? In the presence of the king and the princes, Membukhan said, Queen Vashti has wronged not only the king, but also all the princes, and all the peoples who are in all the provinces of king ahasuerus for the queen's conduct will become known to all the women causing them to look with contempt on their husbands by saying king ahasuerus commanded queen vashti to be brought into his presence but she did not come this day the ladies of persia and media who have heard of the queen's conduct will speak in the same way to all the king's princes and there will be plenty of contempt and anger. If it pleases the king, let a royal edict be issued by him, and let it be written in the laws of Persia and Media, so that it cannot be repealed, that Vashti may no longer come into the presence of King Ahasuerus, and let the king give her royal position to another, who is more worthy than she, When the king's edict which he will make is heard throughout all his kingdom, great as it is, then all women will give honor to their husbands, great and small. This word pleased the king and the princes, and the king did as Memukon proposed. So he sent letters to all the king's provinces, to each province, according to its script and to every people, according to their language that every man should be the master in his own house, and the one who speaks in the language of his own people. After these things, when the anger of King Oswares had subsided, he remembered Vashti and what she had done, and what had been decreed against her. Then the king's attendants, who served him, said, Let beautiful young virgins be sought for the king. Let the king appoint overseers in all the provinces of his kingdom that they may gather every beautiful young virgin to the citadel of Susa, to the harem, into the custody of Hegai, the king's eunuch, who is in charge of the women, and let their cosmetics be given them. Then let the young lady who pleases the king be queen in place of Vashti. And the matter pleased the king. And he did accordingly. Now there was at the citadel in Susa a Jew, whose name was Mordecai, the son of Jair, the son of Shimei, the son of Kish, a Benjamite, who had been taken into exile from Jerusalem with the captives who had been exiled with Jeconiah, king of Judah, whom Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, had exiled. He was bringing up Hadassah, that is, Esther, his uncle's daughter, for she had no father or mother. Now the young lady was beautiful of form and face, and when her father and her mother died, Mordecai took her as his own daughter. So it came about when the command and decree of the king were heard, and many young ladies were gathered to the citadel of Susa into the custody of Haggai, that Esther was taken to the king's palace into the custody of Haggai, who was in charge of the women. Now the young lady pleased him and found favor with him. So he quickly provided her with her cosmetics and food, gave her seven choice maids from the king's palace, and transferred her and her maids to the best place in the harem. Esther did not make known her people, or her kindred, for Mordecai had instructed her that she should not make them known. Every day Mordecai walked back and forth in front of the court of the harem to learn how Esther was and how she fared. Now when the turn of each young lady came to go in to King Ahasuerus, after the end of her twelve months under the regulations for the women, for the days of their beautification were completed as follows. Six months with oil of myrrh, and six months with spices and the cosmetics of her women. The young lady would go in to the king in this way. Anything that she desired was given her to take with her from the harem to the king's palace. In the evening she would go in, and in the morning she would return to the second harem. To the custody of Sheashgas, the king's eunuch, who was in charge of the concubines. She would not again go in to the king unless the king delighted in her and she was summoned by name. Now, when the turn of Esther, the daughter of Abihail, the uncle of Mordecai, who had taken her as his daughter, came to go in to the king, she did not request anything except what Haggai, the king's eunuch, who was in charge of the women, advised. And Esther found favor in the eyes of all who saw her. So Esther was taken to King Ahasuerus to his royal palace in the tenth month, which is the month to Beth, in the seventh year of his reign. The king loved Esther more than all the women. And she found favor and kindness with him more than all the virgins, so that he set the royal crown on her head and made her queen instead of Vashti. Then the king gave a great banquet, Esther's banquet, for all his princes and his servants. He also made a holiday for the provinces and gave gifts according to the king's bounty. When the virgins were gathered together the second time, then Mordecai was sitting at the king's gate. Esther had not yet made known her kindred or her people, even as Mordecai had commanded her, for Esther did what Mordecai told her, as she had done when under his care. In those days, while Mordecai was sitting at the king's gate, Bigthan and Teresh, two of the king's officials, from those who guarded the door, became angry, and sought to lay hands on King Ahasuerus. But the plot became known to Mordecai, and he told Queen Esther, and Esther informed the king in Mordecai's name. Now when the plot was investigated and found to be so, they were both hanged on a gallows, and it was written in the book of the Chronicles in the king's presence. After these events, King Ahasuerus promoted Haman, the son of Hamadatha, the Agagite, and advanced him and established his authority over all the princes who were with him. All the king's servants who were at the king's gate bowed down and paid homage to Haman, for so the king had commanded concerning him. But Mordecai neither bowed down nor paid homage. Then the king's servants who were at the king's gate said to Mordecai, Why are you transgressing the king's command? Now it was when they had spoken daily to him, and he would not listen to them, that they told Haman to see whether Mordecai's reason would stand, for he had told them that he was a Jew. When Haman saw that Mordecai neither bowed down nor paid homage to him, Haman was filled with rage. But he disdained to lay hands on Mordecai alone, for they had told him who the people of Mordecai were. Therefore Haman sought to destroy all the Jews, the people of Mordecai, who were throughout the whole kingdom of Ahasuerus. In the first month, which is the month Nisan, in the twelfth year of King Ahasuerus, Pur, that is, the lot, was cast before Haman from day to day and from month to month, until the twelfth month, that is, the month Adar. Then Haman said to King Ahasuerus, There is a certain people scattered and dispersed among the peoples in all the provinces of your kingdom. Their laws are different from those of all other people, and they do not observe the king's laws, so it is not in the king's interest to let them remain. If it is pleasing to the king, let it be decreed that they be destroyed, and I will pay ten thousand talents of silver into the hands of those who carry on the king's business to put into the king's treasuries." Then the king took his signet ring from his hand and gave it to Haman, the son of Hamadatha the Agagite, the enemy of the Jews. The king said to Haman, The silver is yours, and the people also, to do with them as you please. Then the king's scribes were summoned on the thirteenth day of the first month, and it was written, Just as Haman commanded to the king's satraps, to the governors, who were over each province, and to the princes of each people, each province according to its script, each people according to its language, being written in the name of King Ahasuerus and sealed with the king's signet ring. Letters were sent by couriers to all the king's provinces to destroy, to kill, and to annihilate all the Jews both young and old, women and children, in one day, the thirteenth day of the twelfth month, which is the month Adar, and to seize their possessions as plunder. A copy of the edict, to be issued as law in every province, was published to all the peoples so that they should be ready for this day. The couriers went out impelled by the king's presence, While the decree was issued at the citadel in Susa, and while the king and Haman sat down to drink, the city of Susa was in confusion. When Mordecai learned all that had been done, he tore his clothes, put on sackcloth and ashes, and went out into the midst of the city, and wailed loudly and bitterly. He went as far as the king's gate for no one was to enter the king's gate clothed in sackcloth. In each and every province where the command and decree of the king came, there was great mourning among the Jews, with fasting, weeping, and wailing, and many lay on sackcloth and ashes. Then Esther's maidens and her eunuchs came and told her, and the queen writhed in great anguish. And she sent garments to clothe Mordecai, that he might remove his sackcloth from him, but he did not accept them. Then Esther summoned Hathach from the king's eunuchs, whom the king had appointed to attend her, and ordered him to go to Mordecai to learn what this was and why it was. So Hathach went out to Mordecai to the city square in front of the king's gate. Mordecai told him all that had happened to him, and the exact amount of money that Ammon had promised to pay to the king's treasuries for the destruction of the Jews. He also gave him a copy of the text of the edict, which had been issued in Susa for their destruction, that he might show Esther and inform her, and to order her to go into the king to implore his favor and to plead with him for her people. Hathak came back and related Mordecai's words to Esther. Then Esther spoke to Hathak and ordered him to reply to Mordecai. All the king's servants and all the people of the king's provinces know that for any man or woman who comes to the king to the inner court who is not summoned, he has but one law, that he be put to death, unless the king holds out to him the golden scepter, so that he may live. And I have not been summoned to come to the king for these thirty days. They related Esther's words to Mordecai. Then Mordecai told them to reply to Esther, Do not imagine that you in the king's palace can escape any more than all the Jews. For if you remain silent at this time, Relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place, and you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not attained royalty for such a time as this. Then Esther told them to reply to Mordecai, Go, assemble all the Jews who are found in Susa, and fast for me. Do not eat or drink. For three days, night or day, I and my maidens also will fast in the same way, and thus I will go in to the king, who is not according to the law, and if I perish, I perish. So Mordecai went away and did just as Esther had commanded him. Okay, so we finished Nehemiah today, and there's a couple of things to talk about on his story before we move into Esther. is We see that he is the religious influence for the city, and this is a beautiful example of a godly leader. What happened when he was gone? Because apparently he went to King Artaxerxes, he was, and he returned to his service for a while, but then he has to leave again. And when he returned to Jerusalem, the people have backtracked big time. So when he returned and discovered what these guys were doing, he just started cleaning house. First, he there was um, some favoritism going on within the temple that they were trying to use the courts of the house of God as living quarters, and that was not supposed to be the case. So Nehemiah had that all thrown out and used for the, proper, for the proper reasons. And then you see that the Levites had stopped doing their jobs. The singers and the gatekeepers and all that, They started they stopped doing their jobs because nobody was keeping track of them. So he charged them, why is the house of God forsaken? And he got them back together. And then the people were not obeying the Sabbath. They were allowing merchants to come in and sell to them on the Sabbath. These guys were working on the Sabbath. And he was just upset. Why are you guys doing this? And he makes a very good point. Verse 17. What is this evil thing you are doing by profaning the Sabbath day? Did not your fathers do the same so that our God brought on us and on this city all this trouble. It's Guys, you guys know this is wrong. You listened to Ezra stand up there and read you the law. The law is not to be trifled with. The law is not to be violated, because it's bigger than just a set of rules. We obey a God who has high standards for us, and we have to obey those standards, and there is no exception to that. And so he had to put his foot down, and as governor, he they had to obey him. So God allowed him to be in that position of authority because he had what it takes to get the job done. And, I mean, I'm a leader in some areas of my life, and quite frankly, I am not as strong as Nehemiah is. There are many times where I should put my foot down, and I don't. Because of weakness or intimidation, or I just don't want to mess with that and and give myself headaches. You know, it's easier just to let it be than get in confrontation with somebody. And that's not the way I should be, I know that, and that's something I struggle with often, but Nehemiah didn't care. He knew the standards. He knew exactly what God expects from his people, and he was not going to apologize for it. And he was not going to apologize for not being liked. And that's amazing, because, and that's inspirational to me as well, that the standards are very clear. And at any time, a leader has to step up and has to do what is right, even in the face of opposition. Because I don't do what I do because I want to be popular. I don't do what I do because it's easy. I don't do what I do as a leader because I want to win everybody's favor and I want to make everybody happy. The standards are clear, and it's the same thing if you work for a company. Company policies are very clear. Expectations are very clear. And it's either you do them or you don't. There is no midpoint, and if you try to do the midpoint, you're just going to get yourself in trouble. On a spiritual level, we should not apologize for what the Word of God says. If we see in ourselves, and that's bad enough to address ourselves because we are always sinning in some way, but we know the standards. We, if you have been following me from the beginning and you've never read the Old Testament before, you just read what God expects from his people and you know that these are the rules. So at this point, it's either you choose to obey them or you don't, but the standards are very clear. We, as a people, should not apologize for the Word of God. There are standards that conflict with the world, because just like my pastor said yesterday in his sermon, the ways of the Bible are incompatible with the world. They're incompatible. You can't have them together. They will not mix. And so we have to see it that way, that even though the rest of the world is going in this direction, celebrating transgenderism and you know violence and anarchy and all this stuff, and we know that's wrong, we shouldn't apologize for doing what is right. Even though we know that it could cause problems for us on Earth, we also know that this is not our last stop in life. We are just passing through. We're sojourners on this earth. Our heavenly citizenship is where we belong, and that is where we are going after this. That is an eternal rest, and that is an eternal citizenship. So if we get afflicted here on earth, it's a small thing compared to eternity. And wouldn't we want to spend eternity without any regrets? I'm not saying that we will regret in heaven because all that negativity will go away but I want to go to heaven knowing I did my best. I want to go to heaven and look God in the eye and said I kept your statutes. I did what was right. Because the Bible says clearly that God rewards us for what we do here on earth. He will reward us in heaven. What does Jesus say? Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth that are going to perish, right? That moth and rust will destroy, but save up for yourself treasures in heaven. So there is something to that. I don't know exactly what that looks like, to be honest, but there's something to that, and I believe it, and I'm going to obey it. So Nehemiah did not apologize for putting his foot down and expecting people to obey the Lord. It should have come from each individual, right? But we know that people are always compared in the Bible to sheep for a very good reason, because we are dumb like sheep sometimes. We go off track. We get lost all the time. Now, we need somebody who has that spiritual discernment and that leadership skill to remind people to do the right thing. So I hope that in our lives, you are that leader. You know, you have children. You have relatives. You have nieces and nephews. You have employees. You've got coworkers, You've got people in your church. you got, you name it. You, there's people at the grocery store that you see something wrong or you know something's going on. Don't just let it go. You got to pick your battles, certainly. But if you know that there's something that's within your control and is in violation of God's word, you have the right and the obligation to say something and to address it. Whether they choose to listen to you or not is up to them, unless they're your kids, right? Then you make sure you make sure they do, right? But if adult to adult, if you tell them to do that, and that's it, it's their responsibility. We hope that they will listen and they will do the right thing, but ultimately you're making them aware of it, and then the Lord will do the rest. He will convict them as needed. So I just wanted to encourage you today, because I, and that's something that I constantly think about when it comes to why why is, why does God put me in leadership positions when I am not a very good leader. He's trying to get something out of me, and I need to develop in specific ways, and while I have the heart of a leader, I don't always have the action of a leader, and that's something I'm working on personally. So we end Nehemiah on a positive note that he needs to stick around. Somebody in charge needs to keep track of things and govern fairly because the people are prone to wandering. They'll go off track very quickly if there's not an effective leader in place. But then we change trajectory and we go into the book of Esther. This is the reign of King Xerxes I, which, is he's also mentioned in here, is being called Ahasuerus. That's the Hebrew form of his name. But in Greek, he is called Xerxes. So we, in historical documents, we estimate more or less that Nebuchadnezzar Uh, conquered Judah around 586 B.C. And then Cyrus, the king of Persia, decrees the return of the Jews to Jerusalem in 538 B.C. And then you have the temple being completed in 515 B.C., which when when Ezra goes over there, as well as when Nehemiah is part of that. And then you have this time period where Esther is becoming queen of Persia, this is somewhere about 30 to 35 years after the book of Nehemiah, more or less. So God himself is never mentioned by name in the whole book of Esther, much like the book of Ruth. is not. It's not really focused so much on The Lord being the central character here, even though he is the overarching theme of the entire Bible, he's not mentioned, but we know he's here, and we see him multiple times throughout the process, that he hasn't forgotten about his people, and because there's a lot of stuff going on here that we need to know. So first off, King Ahasuerus had a queen named Vashti, and he had a huge party. So for six whole months, he was showing the grandeur of his court. And then following that, he had a seven-day drinking feast where alcohol was just everywhere, and people were just drinking like crazy. And so on the last day of the feast, this drunk king asked for his queen to come and probably do some sort of uh, provocative dance, most likely, or something like that, and she refused to do it. So then he got really upset about that, and so he inquired with his wise men, and one of them said, well, if she's going to be rebellious against the king, then she's just going to get this idea with all the women that they can rebel against their husbands. So let's go ahead and divorce her. So they divorced Vashti from King Ahasuerus, and so now let's find somebody else who can be a better queen than her. But she has to be beautiful, and she has to be a virgin. So then we enter into Mordecai. Now, it mentions here that Mordecai is the son of Jair, the son of Shimei, the son of Kish, a Benjamite, who had been taken into exile from Jerusalem. The wording there can be a little confusing, because it makes it seem like Mordecai came out of Jerusalem into exile but that's not how it happened. Because again, this has been several decades from the time that Babylon took over Jerusalem. So Kish, Mordecai's great-grandfather, was the one that was taken from Jerusalem. Because if you look at the way it's worded, the son of Kish, a Benjamite, was taken. So Kish was the one that was taken into exile And since then, there had been three generations of family after him, and Mordecai being the current generation. So Mordecai and Esther are cousins. And yet, I guess he's an older cousin, so he's always been in charge of taking care of her. And so she was drafted for this campaign to find the new queen, and she apparently was a very beautiful lady. And her Hebrew name is Hadassah. Her Persian name is Esther, which means star. But Hadassah is her Hebrew name, which means myrtle, myrtle tree. As soon as he meets Esther, he's very much in love with her and adores her. And so she is crowned queen. And they don't know that she's a Jew yet. And now you see also in chapter 2, in this, near the end of it, you see that Mordecai overhears a plot to assassinate the king, and he stops it. Now that's going to come into play later in his benefit, as well as the people of, of the Jewish community. And then we see here a, na- a man named Haman, or Haman. I grew up always here against Haman, but it's Haman. So he is an Agagite, which Most scholars agree that he is either an Amalekite or he is related to the family of Esau. Most likely he's an Amalekite, and by nature they are enemies of the Jews. And that's probably why he goes so far as he did. Not just because he was offended, but also of his heritage. Jews are his hated people just as much as the Amalekites are The Israelites hated people. They're sworn enemies by God. God does not like the Amalekites because of what they've done. So he refused to bow to Haman. And so not only did he just want to kill him, but he also wanted to kill everybody of his race. That is a big step. That escalated quickly, didn't it? He goes from, I'm going to kill Mordecai to, you know what, I'm just going to kill all the Jews in the whole empire. That is a big step up. But he has the power, apparently, to make it so. And we see that Haman convinces the king to do this because he is very wealthy. He bribed the king with 10,000 talents of silver, which is 375 tons of silver. So how he had all that, or maybe he thought he was going to be able to confiscate that much over his time, but that's a lot of resources to bribe the king with, and the king went with it. Here's my signet ring, and that's important because they would seal the documents with this ring to show that it was officially from the king. So he was basically playing the king in terms of making these documents however he'd like, and with the king's approval, automatically, because he has the ring. So this edict was sent everywhere, and all the Jews were freaking out, as they should be, because this was a big deal. So everybody knew about it except Esther, because she was locked away in the palace. And so when she found out, she said, there's only one thing I can think of that I can do because of the position I'm in, and that's to go to the king's presence. But there's a law that if I go into the king's presence and he didn't invite me, and he doesn't like me being there, I'm dead. And Mordecai says something profound. He's like, look, do not imagine that you in the king's palace can escape any more than all the Jews. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place, and you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not attained royalty for such a time as this. So there's two things to get out of this. For one, Mordecai is obviously placing his faith in God, because he said that if you, Esther, don't say anything, I'm confident that relief and deliverance will come a different way. He has faith that God is going to do something. He is going to rescue his people some way, even if it's not through Esther. That's good. That's some awesome faith right there. But secondly, we were born at this particular time and place on purpose. There are many times people say, man, I just wish I was born at a different time. Or no, I'm I'm out of my I was I was meant to be born in another century, or I was meant to be born in another country or whatever. God knew exactly what He was doing when He made you. He made you in the time and the place as he saw fit for a very specific reason. God has something for us to do. And the only way we can do that, is by staying close to the Lord. So he asks for them to fast and pray for her. And she said, I'll go in, but and if I die, I die. I did my best. I have confidence in the Lord, too, that he will take care of me, and that's beautiful to see. Spoiler alert, she is successful. But that's all I have for today. Thank you for listening. I'm Ryan, and we'll see you next time. Take care, and God bless you.